welcome, guys. Welcome, 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 welcome to TLC. It's good to have you guys. My name is Tony. I am the EM pastor. If you guys did not know already, it's glad to have you. Welcome to TLC. Welcome to our Sunday worship service. We are so privileged to have you guys here to come and worship the Lord with us today. Um, you know, we are in a series called Making Room for Jesus, right? This series was developed with one really big goal in mind. It is kind of to restore and remind us of our identity. Because when you forget your identity, you begin to lose your way in the walk that you have. You know, a whole theme for TLC for this year, our vision for TLC this year was faith in action beyond security. We wanted to see people of God beginning to live out their faith boldly, courageously. We want to see people of God being more upfront, leading the way in regards to stepping out, changing the lifestyle, changing the, the trajectory of their families, their co-workers, the, their business places, their schools. We want to see stuff like that happen. We want to see our people having the courage to go out there and do that. But the problem is sometimes we get distracted. We get distracted because we have work. We are distracted because we got bills to pay. We got distracted because we have school. We, have, we get distracted because we have family and children. We just get distracted in general. And oftentimes the distraction is not because of distraction. The distraction happens because one very important thing. You've forgotten your identity. Just like when Kershaw forgot that he's a pitcher and gave up, you know, Dodgers no longer in the playoffs. So I'm saying, right? When you forget your identity, you get distracted you don't get where you're supposed to be. Too soon? Too soon? Too soon? Right? I'm sorry. Okay, anyways. It happens, man. We're never going to, I don't know when we're ever going to see Dodgers in, in, in the World Series, but you know, we'll see. All right. When you forget your identity, when you forget your identity, you forget your direction. When you, get, when you forget your identity, of course, you're going to forget to love people. Because you're going you're gonna to forget that you're chosen by God. We talked about that a few weeks back, a month or so back. You forget that you're chosen and so you begin to look at people and you start having this kind of superiority complex with them. When you forget your identity, of course, you're going to be putting your trust in things that give you immediate satisfaction instead of putting your trust in the one who says, hey, I've made everything. I'm here for your flourishing. I'm here for your good. When you forget your identity, obviously, you're going to forget to obey, right? You're going to forget, you're going to forget that there needs to be changes in our life to trust that God has um, a direction for us, to be willing to say, I'm going to submit and follow you. When you forget your identity, we can't do our own thing. When you forget your identity, obviously you find yourself in the situation where you're constantly asking yourself, am I good enough? Am I worthy? Am I, am I, am I right? Have I made it today? Did I, did I finally climb the ladder that I'm supposed to climb? When you forget your identity, you find yourself in a courtroom constantly putting a case against yourself. When you forget your identity, you lose the ability to repent and say, I've wronged. When you forget your identity, you lose the ability to have decent conversations with people around you and you create conflicts because you've forgotten your identity. You guys follow me, right? The identity is what drives us forward. When you forget your identity, that's when we begin to see situation issues happen. So my prayer for this whole series is this. Let's go back to our identity. When you find yourself distracted, when you find yourself unable to kind of get caught up in this world, go back and say, what is my identity? How should I respond? Okay? So today's message is going to be, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty, um, it's not that heavy, but, you know, today's message is about sex. 
right? Forgetting our identity and engaging in a culture of sex, all right? And so I'm going to talk to you guys a lot about sex today. I know, I know sex is a big topic because it's kind of like one of those taboo topics, like I don't know if we should talk about it, PT. I'm not so sure about it. Like, are you just going to basically say don't have sex before marriage, uh, sex is for the marriage bed, period, done, message over? I am going to say that, okay? But if you walk out and that's all you heard, you missed the whole message, okay? I'm going to talk about sex. I'm going to talk about sex in a way, hopefully, where you understand the identity behind it and the hope behind it, all right? So let's open your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 9 to 20. No, I'm sorry, 12 to 20. 12 to 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. All right. Listen now for the word of God. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two shall become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Bow our heads with me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for your word today. And Lord, I ask as we begin this conversation about um, sexual immorality and sex um, in your eyes, I pray, oh God, that you would humble our hearts, um, that we would not jump to conclusions, that we would not make our own judgment, but Father, we would submit to your word, the word of life. Father God, we obey you not because we are um, smart or wise by our own means. We obey you, Father God, because we love you. Help us, Father God, to have that security and have that privilege as, as children that bears your name. And I ask God to this time, give us ears to hear and hearts to um, understand what you have to say to us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Right? <clears throat> We're talking about a, a church in the city of Corinth. And this church is like a church gone wild. And, and this is such a beautiful church to learn from because it, it gives us a big picture. And then it tells, us, it tells us something that's very reassuring for us. It tells us that the things that we struggle with today were the very similar things that they struggled with back then. It's not like we're novel in our struggles today, right? And that's the beauty of the gospel. It's, it's so real, it's so raw, it's so, so, um, so tangible, okay, for us. And so this church was founded by Paul in a city called Corinth. Corinth was kind of like this metropolis, like the L.A., the New York, the Hollywood of today. It's a place where you're multicultural, you're diverse. People come there not because they're from there. They come there because they want to get rich or die trying, right? They are there to um, uh, make a better life for themselves. And they have, because of, the sexual, because of their diversity, they have lots of different gods and different worships that goes on there. One of the main gods that they worship in the city of Corinth is the goddess Aphrodite. It's the Greek god Aphrodite, which is the god of love, the god of lust, the god of um, sexuality. 
And what, one of the ways in which they practice this worship of Aphrodite is in this temple that worships Aphrodite. There are a thousand prostitutes, temple prostitutes. Okay? And what these temple prostitutes would do is they will come down into the city at night and they will uh, sleep with young men or sleep with people as a way of giving worship to God because they are celebrating sexual um, joy, sexual satisfaction. The culture of that day was a very free sexual culture, very similar to our days. They had uh, ideas like, my mistress is for my pleasure, my concubine for my tending of my body, my, my wife is for the bearing of children. They have, they have marriages, but they also have women on the side, chicks on the side, guys on the side, boy toys on the side, so that they can have their own personal pleasure. Right? It was a very sexually active, sexually free uh, culture. So much so that when a Christian began to, when the church began to develop there, it stood in stark contrast to that culture. See, Christians would say, hey, you know, we're very generous with our money. We will share with you our food, what we have. We don't have much, but we will share that with you. We will even share our homes with you. But the one thing we cannot share with you is we cannot share our beds with you. Right? So Christians stood out like a sore thumb. And in the midst of this kind of like um, dichotomy between the church and the culture that goes on today, something began to happen within the church something that we probably are pretty familiar with in our church, the church began to kind of have a division between itself, a division of conflict. There's a really conservative group of people within the church saying, you know what, sex is bad. Sex is not pure. Sex is dirty. Sex is sweaty. Sex is nasty. Sex is meant only for the procreation of children. And so I'm only going to focus on that, okay? So if we talk about sex, let's just only talk about it in the context of making babies in marriage, Okay? And then there's another group that begins to talk about sex, and they're more like, hey, you know what? Sex is all about personal freedom. Sex is about expression of who I am, what I want. Sex is just another appetite that I have to feed. For example, if I'm hungry, I eat. If I have a desire, then I need to fulfill that desire. And here's the thing. They, quote, they, they say, and Paul quotes them. He says, you know what? You say that you are free, that everything is permissible, that there's no condemnation in God, and that's all true. You guys realize that? That if you are children of God, the privilege that has been given to you, it's an unbelievable privilege, that there is no condemnation in God, that he looks at you and whatever wrong that you have ever done, continue to do, there's always forgiveness in that. And that's a beautiful thing. That's the privilege afforded to a child of God. Is everyone in the world children of God? No, Okay. Everyone in the world is born in the image of God. Yes, they have God's breath in them, but the children of God are very specific. The children of God are those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, right? Who's willing to obey and fall under the obedience of who their Savior and Lord is, who say to themselves, I'm going to obey God, not because I'm afraid of him. I'm going to obey him because I love him. Children of God, born not of human will or woman's desire, but born of the Holy Spirit. To those, God says, I have given the right to be called my heirs. And that's the privilege given to you. you know, let me tell you how privileged you are, okay? Like, uh, an example of this is in the castle, who has the right to wake up a king in the middle of the night to ask for a glass of water without getting yelled at? Only the children. You get me? A slave walks in or a servant walks in and says, hey, uh, your king. I know you're sleeping, but um, give, give me some water, okay? You're dead, okay? Even if the wife walks in, hey, king, give me some water. Look, did I call for you, right? Did I even ask you to come? Get out of here, right? 
But if a child walks in holding their blankie, right, having the pacifier, and they come up, they tag on their, the, 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 the bed sheet, say, Daddy, Dada, water, right? King says, fine. Gets up, gets asked for water, right? Only a child can get a king to wake up. You guys get me? That's the privilege of God's children. And so this group of people in the church, they really took that privilege to heart. And they said, that's, where, that's the freedom that we have. And so why not exercise the sexual appetite that God has given to us, that we have in our hearts, right? And so Paul writes this letter to them, writes this section in this letter to them, and he's going to argue the biblical view of sexuality, okay? Because he's saying, you know that appetite you have? You think it's actually like um, freeing? No, it's not freeing. You actually have a low view of yourself. When you engage in that, you actually have a lower view of your reality, can I tell you that I have a higher view? Actually, the Bible has a higher view of your reality. Let me share with you what, Bible, what God gives in terms of sexual ethics and sexual um, uh, biblical view for sexuality. Okay? He also has a higher view of sex. And today, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure you guys understand this. I am not simply telling you if you leave this place, don't have sex before marriage, do this and don't do that. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm trying to get you guys to understand the heart behind it, the reasoning behind it, the depth behind it, okay? You can be as, you can walk out here, and that's your mindset. You can walk out of here and say, yes, from now on, no sex before marriage. I'm going to stay clean and pure and then get married and, you know, have a horrible marriage. If you do not understand the identity behind that. If you don't understand the identity of your, of your life and who, God, who, who you are and what's driving you, it doesn't matter how pure you stay, it doesn't matter how, how much of a virgin you stay, you are going to have a horrible marriage because you're not driving it from your identity. You're driving it from your own personal wants, okay? So Paul's going to give us two arguments for why the higher view of sexuality, and he's going to give us what's going to give us the strength to go towards it, okay? All right, so look at verse 12. Verse 12, this is what he says. He is quoting from what they've been saying. They're saying to him, yo, Paul, everything is permissible for me. And Paul's saying, yeah, you're right, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, Paul. Yeah, you're right, but I will not be mastered by anything. What Paul is saying is this. Even if everything is permissible, you shouldn't do things that are destructive to your body. Even if everything is permissible for you, you should not engage in things that are harmful to your body. And even if everything is permissible for you, you shouldn't be doing anything that is enslaving to the body, being mastered by that. Okay? And what he's trying to say here is this. What sex does in its broken form, what sex does is that it breaks you and it enslaves you. Okay? You think sex before marriage is just about feeding an appetite, but Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Sex, sex outside of the context of what it's supposed to be, what it does to you is that it will enslave you, right, and it will break you. It will enslave you and it will break you. And you're like, I have, some of you guys might be thinking like, PT, I have sex a lot, so I feel pretty much not enslaved or broken by this. So you're dealing with it in a physical way. I'm talking about there is some immaterial spiritual thing because you're more than just physical bodies. You guys get me? You are a spirit and you are flesh. And so there is something that's going on deeper inside that you do not see and will not see until it comes forth. Sex has this power to break you and to enslave you. You know, I was, um, 
I got my water heater um, flushed out. Apparently, I didn't know you're supposed to get your water heater flushed out. You know, I'm not smart about that stuff. So I called this dude, comes in, flush my water heater. My, 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 my hot water wasn't coming out for a while. And I, didn't, I just thought, like, maybe there's something wrong with the pipes. You know, I don't know, right? And so he was flushing it out. And I was telling him, yeah, my hot water's not coming out. And, as, and he looked at me and said, everything looks fine. I, I told him, everything looks fine on the outside, right? Everything looks pretty good. I mean, things are going fine. We've had this year for seven years. He said, wait. Right? So he turned off all the water. He took out the pipe. Okay? There's one pipe that connects the hot water thing. Right? And after he took it out, he told me to look inside. It was literally just rock, like rock solid all the way through. I was like, how did, how did all this rock get here? Right? Like, was there rock in my water? He's like, no, no, no. That's the calcium deposit that has accumulated seven years. And the water can't get through because of literally all these rocks over there. And I touched it. I thought it was going to like crumble. You know how you have the, the, the hard water, you kind of touch it and it crumbles? This was not hard water. This was literally a rock. I was like, I was, of course, I took my like screwdriver. I was like, oh man, this is crazy. Right? I was trying to break my way through it. Could not. Right? But all the while on the outside, everything looks good. Everything looks great. But there is a brokenness that's happening on the inside. And what Paul is trying to argue is this. He's, very, he's arguing in a very specific way. What you do not see what you do not see in the midst of your distraction, the midst of you trying to um, feed your sexual appetite, what you do not see is that there's a brokenness and an enslavement that's happening to you at this very moment. Now, I don't need to preach this idea of brokenness and enslavement for you, for you guys to understand. You know this instinctively. A lot of you guys are health freaks, yes? Right? You, you're, you're total health freaks. I remember when I first came to TLC, I had a one bad habit that everyone, all the health freaks yelled at me for. You know what the habit was? I drank Red Bull like it was water, right? I, and everyone was like, don't drink that, man. You're going to die, right? I was like, I've been drinking this since college. I'm fine, right? And like, telling you, don't drink that. You're going to die, you know? And of course, you don't feel it right away. Like, you're young. You think you're invincible. And then you turn 30. <laughs> wake up and you're sore all over, right? You're, taking, you're, you're downing Red Bulls like one wasn't enough. You're thinking like four of them now and you're like, okay. Like you're trying to stay away. You're, you don't see it, right? But the health freaks knew. They knew that if you keep doing this, it's going to break your body, right? It's going to break your body. And what Paul sees is this. I know you don't see sexuality and having sex as a bad thing because our culture is really, you know, um, strong and pushing it, Right? But what you don't understand is that sexuality has this ability to break you in a way that you can never imagine. Some of you guys, sad to say, some of you guys are a product, right? Your brokenness is a product of sex. Isn't that true? Some of you guys, you are a product of broken sexual relationships. The fact that you can't trust the fact that you are hardened, the fact that you're constantly jealous, the fact that you're controlling in every situation, the fact that things, uh, when things are, are, are going in a, in, in a weird way, you don't surrender to any, you don't surrender to a person, you kind of just say, like, I'll, you put your guard up all the time. The worst thing you can do to a person is sleep with them, right? You're like, what? That's seriously. Because Brokenness is not just about outside brokenness, physical, but brokenness happens in a deeper level. 
And just in case you, you don't understand what I mean by sexual immorality, what Paul is saying by sexual immorality, let me make it very clear for you guys. Sexual immorality in the Bible is like this. It's just having sex before marriage between a man and a woman. That's all it is. Right? I know some of you guys are sitting and you're listening to me and you're like, well, man, I don't know, PT. Like, I'm engaging it. I'm doing it. And everything seems okay. Nothing seems too bad. You know, we're pretty much married in our hearts. Right? Do you know what, you know what sex is, right? What sex does? Sex has this ability. What, what Paul says in verse uh, uh, 15, right? In verses, uh, yeah, in verses 15 onward. He says this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Okay? So the picture that Paul is saying is that sex is not just more physical. Sex is also spiritual. Okay? And so when you engage in sexual activities, what you are doing to your spirit is you're taking two different spirits, two individual spirits, and you're combining them to become one very specific spirit. You're one. So your body, has been, your spirit has become one, and your body now is trying to physically become one as well. Okay? You are spiritually invested. You, 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 you created something spiritually, and your body is physically trying to commit to that same thing. In marriage, what marriage does, this is how a marriage connects us. Marriage is this. Marriage is you're doing, or what you're doing is you're physically committing to what your body has already spiritually created. Your body has spiritually created oneness. Now in the presence of marriage, you are physically making everything one. What do I mean by that? My money is your money. My name is your name. My emotions is your emotions. My body, your body. My flesh, your flesh. My debt, your debt. If you start saying, yeah, but we're already married in our hearts, pay our student loans. I dare you. Would you pay our student loans? Pay his mortgage. Oh, yeah, we got to move in first for that to happen. You know why you say that? Because you understand there should be more commitment before I commit that much to it, right? You know why you feel that way? Because your spirit has already created that commitment. Your spirit has already created that commitment of oneness. And so now your body is thinking, yeah, I want to commit more. But like he has or she has to show me that we're in this together for the long run. I don't want to start taking on her debt, like, you know, $300,000, right, a house payment, right, and house mortgage. And like, you know, she just walks out on me, right? He's like, we have to be, I have to be fully know that you're committed to me. You, guys, you, you want to know why? Because your spirit is telling you, you're already one. That's why your body, your mind is telling you, commit more. But when you engage sex outside the confines of marriage and you don't even know if you're going to get married it's a broken picture when you see an obese person right you would say dude broken bro right you need to work on that right when God sees a son or a daughter engage in sexual immorality what he sees is you're not whole I want you to be whole there's something broken there. Your spirit is binded, but you're physically separated. Right? Paul is making this first argument. This first argument he's making is this. The reason why we view sex at such a higher level is that sex is more than just a physical appetite. 
sex is a spiritual realm. Sex is spiritual and physical. It has the power to enslave and it has the power to break you. You know enslavement. She's like, I'm not enslaved by it. You know enslavement. Those of you guys who are caught up in pornography, you know enslavement. You know that you want to stop, but sometimes you can't. You know that sometimes it's like last time, 20 times ago. You know personal enslavement. If that's too much, then I'll give you another one that's a personal enslavement. You know you're enslaved to your phone, right? Like, literally sometimes you have a hard time not going on your phone when you're with people. You know, I, I, was, I was hanging out with people, and, and I, like, the one thing that I kept, I kept seeing in, in like a younger group is that they're constantly picking up their phones. Now, I do it too, for, for real, but they're constantly, you're enslaved to your phones. How many of you guys hate being told what to do? And yet you let your phone tell you what to do all the time. Pick me up. Okay. Right? Look at me. Okay. Right? Ding. Oh, I got to look at that. Right? You, you are like Pavlov's dog. Right? When the, when the thing goes off, you exactly do. Yeah, yep, yeah. You are instinctively wired for it. You're enslaved. Sex outside of marriage has that power to not only break you, but to enslave you. See, what you're doing here, according to the Bible, right, is you are, you are, separating spirit and flesh together. If you really want to hurt somebody, sleep with them. Brokenness comes out of that, okay? Brokenness comes out of this all the time. I've never seen a relationship, even marriage relationship, those who have it, had sex before, they struggle in their marriage afterwards. You think like all of a sudden, woo, things going to be great? I mean, you think struggling in marriage is just normal. Marriage is hard in general, right? When you, when you involve the whole spiritual part to it, it makes it even harder. And if you don't have an identity in Christ to help guide that, oftentimes you lose that place. Isn't it, isn't it like kind of crazy that majority of marriages end in divorce? Some of people are jaded by marriages now, the institution of marriage, because like, why get married if this guy might leave me? You know why he might leave you? Because he has forgotten or he has no identity in Jesus himself. Well, I know you guys are saying, well, most Christians get you know, divorced too, PT. Like 50%, I think, right? I said, in the same way, think about that. Think about that. If that's the case, two things comes to mind. If they're a professing Christian and that happens, two things come to mind. One, they forgot their identity is the thing that drives them. They've given their life to something else to drive them. And two, never has the identity in the first place. That's crazy, isn't it? That's a crazy and a, and a sobering thought. You see, when I'm talking about sex before marriage or not having sex before marriage, I'm not just saying don't do that. It's bad for you. Slap on the bat, right? I'm, I'm saying don't do it because there's a higher view for your body. Do you understand? I don't want your body broken. I mean, I don't, not only me, but God too. I don't want your body broken. And I want you enslaved. But that's what sex does. It has the power to do that. Okay? The second example he gives. Right? The second example he gives is this. Look at verse 17 to 20. But he who unites himself with the Lord is with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Okay? Paul is saying this. He's, he's, 
he's crafting an amazing picture here. He's crafting this picture that says this. When you are united to your marriage or to your wife or your husband, right, in sex, it is a foretaste of what it looks like to be united to Christ in spirit. When you are united to your husband, to your wife in sex, it is a foretaste to what it means to be united to, your, to, to God himself in spirit. He says sex in the beauty of, this is why God created sex in the first place. Sex was meant to be an enjoyment for the husband and wife to renew their marriage covenant each time. When both have forgotten their identity, when both are in a struggle of their hate and their anger and all their personal sin starts coming up and all their personal brokenness starts coming up and their enslavement starts coming up, what sex does in the picture of marriage is it says, oh yeah, I remember the day I married you and I said I do. I remember the day when I stood before God and the people that represent him and I said I do, I will be with you till death do us part. I remember the joy that was there. I remember the union that was there. And in the throes of the ecstasy of sexual encounter with one another, you're brought back to that each time. And Jesus Christ is saying that. He's saying when you sleep with someone outside of that picture, basically you're breaking this relationship with me. Jesus never got married. Right? You know why? Because he was engaged. He was engaged to the church. We are his bride. Right? Quote, unquote, you are the bride to Jesus. You are his. And he waits in eager anticipation to say, I do. And he did. He said, it is finished. You and now and me forever sealed in this life and in life to come. You are mine and I am yours. In the marriage halls of my father, we are one. What is true of me now becomes true for you. And can you imagine now in that very moment, the bride says, yeah, but can I have a chick on the side? Right? Can you imagine at the very moment in the halls of God and in the marriage house, we say, that's awesome. I love you so much, Jesus but can I also have this boy toy, right? He who gave his life, he who binded himself to you, he who shed his blood to ensure once and forever the relationship will never be broken, hears you whisper, but I want someone else. I don't need to make it even like theological for you guys to, I think you understand it's an emotional level. Imagine you come up to your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, and you tell them, I, I want to be vulnerable to you in this sexual way. And the, 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 the person says, awesome. But can I also see someone else? And you're like, uh, did you not just hear me? I said, I want to be vulnerable to you this way. I want to give you all of me. Love it. Thank you. But can I also see them? It would crush you, wouldn't it? You opening your heart, you opening your very being to this person, you laying down who you are to them, and all of a sudden they say, but can I also have that? Right? It's crushing. See, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and you believe what he's done for you, Paul is saying, your view of sex should be higher because you are in a relationship with God himself. 
You are in a relationship with God himself, sealed by his blood. Right? Sealed by it. So here comes this picture here. Here comes this picture. How do I do this, PT? Right? Paul is saying, look, it's not just about what you do or what you don't do. Okay? Don't leave this message thinking, here's the church again telling me, like, who I'm allowed to sleep with, who I'm not allowed to sleep with. Telling me what I'm supposed to do with my body, what I'm not supposed to do with my body. That is just the outward symptom of a deeper issue. What I'm asking you is, do you have that relationship and that identity with him? If you don't, that's fine, right? I get it. I get it. But do you understand? And I hope you understand. One of the things I hope that you understand is this. I've, I've done ministry for, I'm not trying to boast, but I've done ministry for 14 years, right? And in 14 years, I have never seen sex happen outside of marriage in a way that does not destroy the relationship somehow or the person somehow. I've never seen it not transformed to something uglier later on. Even if, every, even if they loved each other, even if they got married, even if things went well, it begins to like cycle down because then you see one generation after you, their children engaging in something that they're like, no, don't do that. That's horrible. But you open that door for that legacy and you're like, well, I didn't expect that to happen. But you open the door. I've never seen it not cause brokenness. Now, that's just experience. That's just wisdom. You can take it. You can try to say, I can figure out my own wisdom, PT. That's fine. But my message to you today is this. The Bible calls us to honor and to see sex as sacred and high because, one, it has the power to break you. It has the power to enslave you. And God says, I have made you more to be enslaved and to be broken. All right? Two, keep sex within the confines of marriage because why? I love you. I have a relationship with you. Why are you building a different relationship with someone else? Why don't you, tr- would you not trust in the one that would actually give their life for you? Instead of running towards something else that's fleeting in the moment. Right? So how do I do this? How do I form my heart towards this, PT? Because some of us are thinking like, PT, I have a really high sexual appetite. Like I really, like I can't stop thinking about it. Some of us were thinking, like, some of you guys are still going through puberty, I guess. You're thinking, like, I can't. PT, like, I'm trying my best. Like, it's on, constantly on my mind. I constantly want it. It's just, it's just, it's a, my heartbeat pretty much, you know. How do I form my heart around this? Let me show you guys. Read our verse. Go back to uh, verse 9 to 11. Let me read this to you. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this thing right here is not just saying like, oh man, like if I did this once, I'm pretty much screwed for life, right? So if that's the case, we're all screwed in this church, right? Drunkards and slanderers, okay? But we are, right, we are, it's talking about your personal identity, 
If your identity is in your sexual immorality, if your identity is who you have a relationship with, if your identity is in your sexual affiliation, if your identity is in your drunkenness and your, and your slander, the problem is you will not inherit God's kingdom because you're not part of God's children because he is not your savior and he is definitely not your Lord. This is what he says, verse 11. That's the key verse right here. And that is what some of you, what's the word? Were. That's what you were. That's what you used to put your identity and your hope, your value, your purpose in. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. How do we gear our hearts away from that? Paul's saying this is where your mind is constantly at. So do you not recognize that once you are a child of God, that's who you were, but now you're washed and you're cleaned and you're forgiven, right? You realize that? That even if you do mess up, let me tell you guys, even if you do mess up, even if you do engage in it, it's not that's, a, that's not a bad thing, but that fact that if you messed up there, you're still his child. And his child always comes back justified. Sanctified. Sanctified is constantly changing and growing. A child that repents, a child that willingly grows, a child that says, I have done wrong, oh God, forgive me. Let's start again. How do we do that? We go back to and we cling to a higher love. We cling to a higher love. Right? Um, my, the story about my father-in-law. My father-in-law used to be a smoker all the time. Like he smoked a lot and he wouldn't stop. Okay, until my, my, my sister-in-law came to me and says, Dad, if you love me, you would stop smoking. I don't know how she said it. I don't know where she was crying or she was pouting or what context she said it in. But something about how she said it made him just throw it away and he quit cold turkey, right? Quit cold turkey. What drove him? A higher love. What drove him away from enslavement and brokenness? A higher, clinging to a higher love. I'm not just telling you to find a different guy or a different girl or whatever, because even, even my sister-in-law will one day fail him because that's just, you know, um, not the ultimate. We cling to the one who is ultimate, the highest love. We cling to the one who has washed us, who has justified us, who has sanctified us, who says, you are my child. You can wake me up. If you are thirsty, I will get up for you. Only you. Only you will I get up for. And you go to that love and you remind yourself that love took a cross so that I will not be enslaved nor mastered. That love took the cross so that I and him will always be together as one in relationship. Find it forever for eternity. That love. That love has the power to transform. Some of you guys are thinking like, that's, I don't know, PT, like that's the... That, that doesn't like seem like it's enough for me. You know, that's, you know why? You know why, right? Because maybe, 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 right? You're so numb to it. Because if you understand the jolt of that love, it will, it will jolt you up from anything. Think about it. If you're, so, if, if you're so caught up in just thinking about one thing, you tell me you cannot stop ever? Like what if someone like, you know, cuts off your hand in the middle of that thinking process? Are you going to be like, yes, blooding out, but I'm still thinking about sex. Of course not. 
right? You're going to be distracted. You're going to be moving towards something else. If your house is on fire, you're going to be like, but I just want to think about it. No, of course not. Something's going to jolt you to get you out of that. How do we move our hearts towards it is that you need to place your mind, your heart, and your very being once again on the love of the one who has given everything for you, a higher love. And you cling to that love daily. You cling to that love daily for it. And when you, and when you, when you mess up and you will, when you go wrong and you will, it's not just to say, it's fine, it's whatever. It's to say, forgive me. Forgive me. And he says, forgiven. Let's do it again. Right? The story, um, man, with the story was the woman, the adulterous woman who got caught in adultery, right? A uh, bunch of townspeople dragged her out. She was caught in the middle of adultery. They dragged her out, but they didn't drag the brother out. I don't know why, right? Like, it's not like he's innocent. It's not like, oh, my God, I was just laying there, and she just jumped on me, right? It wasn't like that, right? They dragged her out, and they said, what does the law tell us? The law of Moses tells us to stone this woman. What do you say to do, right? Try to trap Jesus. Jesus looks at her, knowing full well, crying on the ground, tears falling, head down, ashamed, not willing to even look up around all of these people who are in any moment about to stone her to death, right? Knowing her fate is sealed or hinges on the word of this one man. So Jesus didn't even say anything. He just homie just did the, you know, kimchi squad and he just kind of started writing stuff down on the ground. Everyone there is looking. They all see it. People see that he's actually writing down the deep sins of everyone who was standing there, one by one, right? And he said to them, anyone without sin, just go ahead. And one by one, they all dropped their stones. They walked away. He comes to her, looks at her, holds her face, and he says, where are the men that has condemned you? Are they no longer here? They're no longer here to condemn you. She says, no, no one. Then neither do I. Go and sin no more. Life transformed forever. Life hung on the word of this one man. If he said, yeah, let's kill her, she would have been dead. And yet, he said, I do not condemn you. Life changed. And so this is the plea your pastor, right? This is the command of God your Father. This is the call of Jesus your Lord, the leading of the Holy Spirit, your counselor. Whatever it is that has been done, whatever it is that has been done up to this very moment, 153.27, right? Whatever has been done up to this very moment, go now and sin no more. You walk out these doors not condemned. You have a father who loves you dearly, who sees brokenness, who sees enslavement, who says, I want you whole. You have a father, you have a, you have a Lord and a groom that says, I love you to the point that I will give everything for you. Remember this relationship. There is no one on this earth alive or have ever lived that would ever have done such a thing for you. I have done it and I do it Gladly. The Bible says, for the joy set before me, I took the cross. You were my joy. So go and sin no more. Let's pray, church. Lord, I offer my life.
my day.